Greetings, and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 47. This week's poem is Asparagus by Marilyn Nelson, and it is another one of those poems that I found through friend and reed teacher Terry DeBarger, who has clearly become a kind of poetic Sherpa for me. It sounds like a joke, but when I think about it, that's an apt metaphor. I taught in DeBarger's classroom as a student teacher, and before I left, he gifted me a collection of poems edited by Billy Collins titled Poetry 180, filled with poems intended to be read in school, one for each of the 180 days in a school year. The truth is that until DeBarger, poetry hadn't even been a small part of my life or academic focus. For the most part, in high school, I had only read poems required by teachers who didn't love them, poems that ranged from, oh, so that's poetry, to, that was terrible, why did you do that to me? After a year of weekly poems, I'm sure some students are exhausted by them, but I'm also sure my students have found poems that were, well, quite excellent. Poems that were beautiful or thoughtful, poems that felt like fists through windows or deep wounds in the heart. With any luck, we got there, or we'll get there still more. We've been at it a while, and as the year gets closer and closer to its end, I'm seeing wonderful analytical writing from my students. I'm constantly impressed by what they're doing, and as I see them bringing up the quality of their work on these responses, I think it's time to give them a bit of breathing room to direct some of that brilliant energy into our other projects and activities, especially our current Romeo and Juliet performances. So, beginning this week, and continuing, I think, until the end of the year. Quite excellent, and our poem responses will be in every other week project. And since we will be gone for the third week of March, the next episode after this one will come on March 22nd. Students will still have a response due the Wednesday following the podcast release and replies due on the Friday after, but then we'll have a week away. With all that calendar nonsense out of the way, let's get back to poetry. Specifically, Langston Hughes's poem, Frosting. I'll be honest, I thought a poem this short was going to be a challenge for students. Instead, I got some of the best analysis I've ever seen, some comments outside of class about how much students liked the poem, and multiple students whose writing on this assignment, in terms of the use of quotations and the variety of their sentence structures, it was the best I've seen all year. I am shook. Here's the poem. Langston Hughes. Frosting. Freedom is just frosting on somebody else's cake. And so must be till we learn how to bake. So a good place to start is just with that first word. Freedom. Students identified that this is a poem about freedom and learning to fight back, and we're going to get back to the fighting there. But the limited number of words here was important, and students noted that the poet deliberately uses very few amount of words to make his point seem not just short, but powerful, impactful for being as brief as it is. A student says that one line is just the word freedom. In fact, it's the first line. Despite only being one word, the student says, this line makes up the rest of this poem's meaning entirely. It states its central point, and it does so right at the very beginning. And so it makes sense to move through this poem chronologically from first to last line, because this analysis my students did is wonderful, and it really builds on each component part. 
So we look first at the lines that say that freedom is frosting on somebody else's cake. A student says that freedom makes everyone happier as the frosting on the cake. Another says that this is a poem that uses minimalistic diction to prove a massive point. It uses short phrases like on somebody else's cake to show that freedom is not always a thing that you are born with. But another student says that freedom, like frosting, is something that you need. It's it's something that makes the cake good and complete. Not all agreed. Another student says that the poem expresses the idea that freedom isn't actually required to live, but it's important to make life good. And I think that's an important distinction. Ours is a country that has a history of limiting who has access to freedom. It is not always shared equally, to put it lightly. And while we've certainly had people living and surviving and having families and spreading out and and sharing cultures, that doesn't mean they've always had equitable access to freedom. And so I think that's a really good point. Along this line, a student says that freedom is only a part of your life, maybe even a little part. Although things in the poem take a turn when the poem says on somebody else's cake. And this is an important turn. This is a shift in the poem, which we've talked about before. Another student says that this is like saying you want something, but someone else has it. It's being kept away from you. And this relationship between who has freedom and who doesn't, who wants freedom and who doesn't need to want it, that is important. And a student very cleverly identifies how important the use of frosting is in making that distinction clear. They say that frosting contrasts freedom in two different situations, and it signifies the importance of freedom in society. It implies that it is merely seen as a decoration to the privileged classes, just a thing that's added on, that's a nice addition. And the student follows by saying, in other words, the privileged people already have all their rights, so they do not see the importance of any more freedom. And this really makes the just of the poem really important. The poem doesn't say freedom is frosting on someone else's cake. It says freedom is just frosting on someone else's cake. Just implies that it can be overlooked and taken for granted. But of course we know from what we've already said that it's something that other people desperately want. And so by using frosting here, we're we're actually making a really clever comparison between how one person can perceive a need and the other and another person can perceive something that's not essential, something that's taken for granted. And then we get to the back half of this poem where it says, till we learn how to bake. Now, there are a few different understandings of this poem. I'm going to bring up a couple. I don't think all of them hold up, but I think they're important ways of looking at the poem. One student says, uh, this is like saying you could drive a car, but only once you learn. I think there's a logic to this that makes sense, especially when you already have the privilege of that kind of access. When you have that freedom, you're like, yeah, well, you got to really earn this. But I think one thing that happens is that when, when we turn that on its head, we're also necessarily saying that you who don't have privilege, you who don't have freedom, you better earn it. And I don't know that we all really do. Some of us just have it. We just are born with it. And I think this is an important uh, analogy to the car and the driver's license and that kind of thing. 
because it shows us how the right metaphor can have really powerful effects and how it's easy to see the experiences of other people in so so different a way. Another student says that people have to fight and work for freedom you enjoy in your life. And I think this poem largely supports that, although who has to fight, of course, how much they have to fight differs from person to person and privileged group to less privileged group. Another says that by stating that this will be the case till we learn how to bake suggests that we have to follow these rules until we learn to become a leader. And I think this is another important part. Yes, we do need leadership. We need strong leaders, but it's always, it's not just leaders. Of course, we've had strong leadership uh, in the fight for civil rights. And we've seen those leaders, unfortunately, be killed often, far before their time. And so, yes, this is about learning how to take freedom and to grab freedom and claim freedom. But I think there is a more direct argument here. And I think, and I really only think that because of some of the analysis that my other students have done. Again, there's just such a a richness to all the variety of perspectives that it really allows you to look closely at what works and what's supported. And So the way that we can also look at this closing till we learn how to bake, according to another student, implies that in order to be truly free, we need to learn to be dependent on only ourselves. We have to become more capable and sustainable and be able to take that action as a community. Uh, And of course, we're speaking from the perspective of those who still lack that freedom. Another student points to how the poem compares baking to the pleasure a free nation can bring, but some don't get to experience the joy that frosting and freedom bring. They first must, quote, learn how to bake and build a cake. They have to do that themselves. And maybe they shouldn't have to, but that does seem to be the demand here. Another says, that this shows that we need to be able to use what we have to learn how to bake. And in doing that, we're solving problems. And I'd like to extend that when we're talking about solving problems, these are problems that make freedom more difficult for some. Another student writes that the poet deliberately uses words that do not have any relation to what the poem is actually about. So we're talking about a cake, we're talking about baking, we're talking about frosting. And I think this is a really important idea because instead of talking for the most of this directly about freedom or oppression or what it means to bake a cake yourself, we're talking in metaphor. And what's nice about metaphor, it allows you to say things that might even be considered revolutionary. This student says that by using freedom as frosting, uh, that makes bake mean fighting back and standing up to those who have the freedom and maybe aren't sharing enough. And the student didn't say this, but when I think of that, what does that fighting back mean? That to me sounds like protest and civil action and pushes to make changes in the way we see people and recognize their humanity. To use a word like bake when you mean fight is a clever and secretive way of calling for big social change. Another student says that the poem Frosting by Langston Hughes is a call for action, and it instills a sense of hope that freedom is not something abstract and unachievable, but it's a tangible objective. And this is really interesting, too, because frosting, of course, is something you can physically have. You can physically create it. So we're taking a concept like freedom, which is hard to even conceptualize what that always means, and we're making it a literal 
thing that exists that can be interacted with and achieved. And I like that. That is very clever. Ajun says that while this poem has been written decades ago, its message is still current. And another notes that the metaphor is about how we must find our way to freedom. But not everyone needs to. I, I think it's important to note. Despite feeling like this is a poem that includes everyone, this is a poem for those that are hungry for freedom, right? It does that by saying somebody else's cake. And there's one final perspective that I think was really interesting that I didn't see expressed anywhere else, and it's the idea of the cake as a larger metaphor. A student says that the cake could signify a nation. You have all different kinds of ingredients. They represent the diversity of people. The frosting, that freedom, holds the cake together and makes the cake more pleasurable. Not for any one ingredient, but it makes all the ingredients function better together. So maybe freedom is frosting on someone's cake, but if it was frosting on everyone's cake, then everyone is better off. I think that's a really interesting perspective, and it's a hopeful way of looking at a poem that is seemingly cute and maybe a little bit playful, but is also calling for major social change. And I like the idea of taking a look at a poem that it recognizes hardship and offering opportunity and hope in what it has to say. Now, our next poem is Asparagus by Marilyn Nelson. A miraculous thing happened last week. I feel I should mention it. Not one student said anything paints a picture. Not one. I was able to sleep soundly all week without waking up in a cold sweat. My dreams were of roller coasters and pizza and the freedom enjoyed by the Andean condor as it coasts through the air without a single flap of a wing for a hundred miles. I didn't stub my toe once last week. I woke up on time. I beat the hardest bosses on the hardest difficulty with ease. Every glass of water I had was singularly excellent. All of this because I never felt in my bones the typing of paints a picture by a student. It was a good week. I enjoyed last week like the speaker in our next poem enjoys a good asparagus stock. Well, maybe it isn't the asparagus here that matters, but the one preparing it, the one teaching the speaker how to find romance in the sharing of a meal. That might sound silly, but eating is one of those things we only do with people we feel comfortable around. In the past, rival kings only met for a meal when peace had been declared or was being made. Setting down a sword to pick up a fork made a person too vulnerable to make such an exchange with current enemies, and today, students at school sit down with people they know when they eat. Even gazelles know that they are most vulnerable when eating, well, maybe second to sleeping. Sharing this kind of experience, then, it's a kind of intimacy, a, a willingness to be more vulnerable. Any time you see a meal in a poem or a story or a movie, you should recognize the necessary intimacy and vulnerability that comes with it. It makes sense for Nelson's poem to be a sonnet, then. As a class, we last saw a sonnet at the beginning of Romeo and Juliet. This is the structure of the play's prologue, and for a play so closely associated with love and romance, despite all that killing and suicide, a sonnet feels appropriate. Same here. In addition to having a clear romance, the poem is concerned with small details. You could follow parts of this like a recipe or a set of instructions. When the careful descriptions can be heard and felt 
in addition to being seen. I actually think I can taste and smell this poem's finer features, too. To recognize these small intentional elements, our secret passphrase is the word specific, or any version of the word. For our writing task, I'd like students to make a claim that is more specific than usual. I've been reminding students not to have a claim that summarizes the poem. Well, this week, I'm being more demanding. Your claim must have a clear what and a clear how. The what should be the point you are trying to make. For example, in Frosting, you could have said that the poem is about taking a stand for freedom. Or, in The Hearth, the what might be that the poem conveys the horrific costs of war. The how is the major way the what is presented. In Frosting, you could have said that it makes its point by making cake an object of revolution. In The Hearth, the how might be through the use of disgusting, brutal imagery. I'll be honest, making a great claim can be a challenge. So, here is some advice. Write your response like you normally would. Then, when you finish, revisit your claim. It is likely that you have figured out the what and the how while writing your paragraph. So, take a moment to add them to your claim if you didn't already. I can tell you from experience that my claims are much better if I rewrite them when I'm done. It might just be me, but sometimes I come up with ideas I literally didn't see coming when I started writing. If I go back and change my claim, readers can be tricked into thinking I always intended to say those accidentally brilliant things. By all means, do the same. One final note, by the way. There are a couple French words here, you might want to translate them. Here's the poem. Marilyn Nelson, Asparagus. He taught me how to slurp asparagus. You hold it in your fingers, eat the stem by inches to the tender terminus, then close your eyes and suck in the sweet gem. First, cook it in its own delicious steam. Saute breadcrumbs and butter separately. Combine. Eat slowly. As he ate, a gleam in his eyes twinkled with such jus d'esprit. It made me drunk with longing. In my chair, amid our laughing, slurping dinner guests, I felt as smug as a new billionaire. Not jealous, not rejected, not depressed, as almost obscene, almost a debauchee. He slurped asparagus and winked at me. Students, be sure to use the word specific in your response and make sure your claim has a clear what and how. I'll put up a drawing to provide more guidance on this. All our previous writing tasks are still great guidelines for strong writing, by the way, so consider including brief summaries, short or single word quotations, and maybe a semicolon. Avoid the word quote and use more than one quote in your sentences. And my goodness, keep creating variety in your sentences. Last week's responses were wonderful when you did. Oh, and of course, avoid paints a picture. My very soul will thank you. This is a somewhat longer poem, but it's still only a single stanza. So only use single slashes for those line breaks. Remember to complete your paragraph-length responses by Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two, and any evidence you use should be short, embedded smoothly into your sentences, and fully explained. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown 
of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like our class to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LeidenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 47 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.